John Jackson Miller, and you're listening to Star Wars Rebels Cast UK. Live. And good evening, fellow Rebels, and welcome to the Rebellion. Yes, that's right. This is your Christmas treat for you guys. Um, I am Alistair Kennedy, or Alawan Kenobi, however you feel to address me. And we do not have uh, Ross Skywalker tonight. Unfortunately, the Force is not with him. However, we do have your other favourite host, Master Yogi. How are you, sir? Greetings and salutations. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> you, you almost sound like a Force ghost there. Like, I had to pull apart a Jedi holocron. Greetings and salutations. This is the Yogi holocron. Press A to continue. No, Yogi. Just get to the good stuff. How are you? <laughs> I was trying to get into character, you know. I always wanted to be, a, you know, some kind of projection or AI, you know. If you if 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 you could have your mind in anyone else's projection, what would that be? Well, who who would I be projected to? Or no, no. What would your what would your image be? What would your um, avatar be? Say. Oh, I don't know. That's a loaded question. I, I'm, mm. I'm about to say something inappropriate, so I'll go with a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it Star Wars. <laughs> and like, well, yeah, it was going to be Star Wars, but you know, we, I've had this theme about you know. T- t- <laughs> Uh, head tails and all that yeah. stuff, you know, Twilix. Yeah, I'd be a sexy Twilix. Oh yeah, of course. Right. So you, you would be Jabba's that. dancer. Oh, oh god, yes, exactly. Yeah, those some. They look pretty nice with those little outfits. No, I, you know what? I'll be a sassy droid. There you go. Oh, yeah, and I imagine that. No way. <laughs> That'd be one of my little like, like five sound bits that I play. I just go. Mm-mm. Like a chip, like a like like a chip tune, eight bit kind of quality, you know. Mm. That would we'll be amazing. That. Would... <laughs> um. So anyway, without further ado, as much as you thought, why is there an episode tonight of Star Wars Rebels cast? Well, Star Wars Rebels fans, as an appreciation gift for you guys listening to us, geeky antics, every Star Wars fan out there, we have got a guest for you tonight. A guest from a galaxy far, far away. Now, we have been teasing this over Twitter for quite some while now. And um, I, I, I'll just let the man speak for himself. We have got a guest on tonight that pff, has blown me away before I had... Hello. There we go. Hello there, Mr. Miller. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Yeah, so I was just introducing you to the fans as the guest that blew my mind to answer my emails to come to this show from a galaxy far away. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Sure thing. So, um, welcome to the show, first of all. And um, before we berate you with uh, uh, questions, I believe Yogi had concocted a wee break the ice question for us. Oh, we are starting off with that. Oh, man, yes. no pressure. Uh, of course, we have to. <laughs> so the burning question for all uh, Star Wars fans out there, hardcore, casual, and everything in between, is is there is there any force in the galaxy that's more irresistible than a Twi'lek? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, I'm sure whole books could be written about that. I haven't written one of them, though. <laughs> Well, no, I, I noticed there was uh, quite a bit of buildup in Hera's uh, character making a, po- a, a, a big point of uh, how her facial f- features were very attractive and no one could resist her. Well, that was, a, that was of course, all from Kanan's point of view. Uh, this is, in, of course, in the, the Star Wars A New Dawn book. Uh, and so since we're, we're seeing the world through his eyes at those moments, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely uh, yeah, his... Uh, uh, his way of thinking there. Uh, and that really did sort of, you know, connect with what they were going to be doing in the Rebels TV series since I had done the, you know, my conversations with them beforehand. You know, I, I knew that he was definitely going to be very taken with her uh, at the very beginning. No awesome. kidding. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So um, were, were, uh, were you allowed uh, creative freedom to shape Kanan and Hera at all? Or um, were there already plans in place during the book? Well, there were already some plans in place. Uh, when I started writing the book, they gave me the uh, you know, the story bible for the first season of Rebels, and uh, I had conversations with the Lucasfilm story group, 
which included, you know, a, you know, a conversation with uh, Dave Filoni, one of the executive producers. Mm. Uh, and then I also got notes back from all three executive producers on my plot. Uh, the the idea, you know, behind the the story, you know, showing, uh, you know, their earliest days, uh, you know, I got from them where they would have been at that point in time, uh, when that first meeting could have taken place, uh, and I I got a sense from them of how they wanted the first meeting to transpire, how they wanted them to feel about uh, you know, one another when they met each other. Uh, you know, Hera would uh, be strictly business and, and you know, want to head onward with her, her own projects, and she would not see Kanan as somebody that was going to be particularly helpful, uh, whereas Kanan uh, would be, as we've said, taken by her, but at the same time, he would want nothing at all to do with any kind of rebellion or actions against the the empire. Uh, he, you know, wanted to, you know, sort of go on and and live the life that he had been living. Uh, even though, as we see in the book, he's getting a little depressed by this point. He's getting, you know, sort of disgusted by the whole routine of of going from one place to the next to the next and not really accomplishing anything. Uh, but yeah, I, I I would say that the story, uh, you know, that we get in the book. Uh, you know the the events that happen, everything having to do with the mining world, and uh, you know the other characters in there like uh, Skelly and Zaluna and Count Vidian. You know that was all mine. Uh, so it was uh, I would say pretty much about ninety eight percent you know mine. But uh, you know it was it was one of those things where I'm I'm baking the cake, but. You know, they told me that it needed to be a cake as opposed <laughs> to something else. Of course. Now, uh, Count Vidian, I was going to ask you about him. He is one of the best Star Wars villains I have ever read. Can you, uh, since you've, you created him, bow down, sir. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you came about creating him? And, like, that was amazing. I got right into his mindset, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, yeah, Avidian is a, a kind of character that I assumed would have existed in that time frame. You know, this is when the Empire is still asserting its power. It's still taking control of uh, existing institutions that had been part of the Republic. Uh, it struck me that there would have been a lot of people that, you know, Palpatine, the emperor, would have, you know, he, he would have had them as allies beforehand, you know, financial contributors and, and you know, cronies, those sorts of people uh, that he would bring into his new order. Uh, and and particularly with Vidian, he was going to be the sort of character who was uh, a, you know, a, a corporate turnaround artist. He was somebody who fixed corporations. Uh, in his previous life, uh, he was going to be somebody who was actually pretty famous for it. Uh, you know, people would be buying his. Well, there there, there aren't any books, but you, you can imagine uh, they would be paying to listen to his holograms uh, <laughs> about about how to do things in the in the in the business section. Uh, and uh, so, so he you're would saying be some... he's like an evil Tony Robbins, uh, or or Donald Trump, or whoever else you want to imagine <laughs> is somebody who does those kinds of those kinds of things. And, you know, he, he even, you know, we even talk about the fact that his voice uh, is, uh, you know, sort of, you know, been uh, tested by focus groups uh, to, to make it sound like the most appealing uh, and authoritative voice that you can have. Uh, and uh, that's something where in the, in the audiobook it's really, it's really pulled off very well by, uh, by, uh, by the, uh, by the uh, recording artist, uh, uh, Mark Thompson. Uh, but it, it struck me that that would be a sort of character who would seek a position in the new empire as somebody who would be out there to transform industries. He would be uh, able to get you know, that last little bit of energy out of a, out of a planet or the last little bit of production out of, uh, out of a business uh, that you know previously you know wouldn't have been available unless you had the methods that the empire has uh, you know which include murder. <laughs> of course, he w he was absolutely brilliantly written, and, and I would I would like to see him again. I would hope to see him again, um, even though I won't spoil the. Well, end of the we book. won't spoil we won't <laughs> spoil anything. But well, that that's what's great about this. Uh, you know, writing in Star Wars is, uh, you know, there are stories written in all sorts of different time frames, and so mm. it's it's not entirely the case that when you you know uh, see a character, uh, you won't see that character's past. You you might well see that character's past or or him appearing in other places. 
of course. That would that would be amazing to see. Now, um, I, I obviously am a big fan of your work previously through the comics, through even Mass Effect, as my ties with all games come. Um, what was it like to, first of all, write one of the final books, if not the final books, and then be able to kick off the brand new canon novels? Well, it was one of those things that I didn't really know was going to happen. I, uh, I, I think... You're, by by uh, one of the final books you're referring to, Kenobi, which was my novel from last year. Uh, and uh, when I began writing uh, the, the New Dawn book, uh, I had no idea that it would have this sort of introductory role in, uh, in the publishing uh, side of things. My assumption was that it was just a, uh, a Rebels prequel series, a, a Rebels prequel, prequel book. Uh, and that that was going to be all that it, uh, you know that it would be in terms of marketing, uh, and you know its position. I I did you know know that you know, every book that was going to be coming out was going to be something where uh, you wanted to you know try to minimize the number of connections to uh, a lot of past events simply because we want to make books easier to read and follow for people who are discovering them for the first time. Uh, but you know it, it happened that. This book was the first book that was done with this Lucasfilm story group that they've instituted. Uh, that's that group that I mentioned before where, you know, I'm, I'm as an author, I'm talking with the people that uh, have a have an idea out there of what's going on in all the other media, you know, movies, uh, television shows, uh, you know, novels and comics and everything. Uh, and, you know, it, it just sort of, you know, happened that way that... Uh, uh, because of when the Rebel series was launching, you know, that dictated when my book was coming out. Uh, and, uh, you know, because my book was tying into the Rebel series, you know, necessarily it needed to be, uh, you know, that starting point for uh, for things going forward. Sure. Now, uh... I, I I absolutely adored Kenobi. Kenobi Obi Wan Kenobi is my favorite of all time. He he's not to be beat. And when I read your book, I absolutely <laughs> adored. <laughs> yeah, Yogi's laughing now. It seems to me almost like as if, even though you did not know that this was going to happen, that because I now see the legends as in a sort of whispers in the, the galaxy sort of thing rather than a oh my god it doesn't count anymore that <laughs> that that you know that uh, kenobi the book was perfectly written in that sort of style that i, I don't know how you hit the notes so well without <laughs> future knowledge <laughs> well you know i every book that you write uh you know needs to be an island unto itself uh sure. regardless of how it ties into any other works anywhere else and you know when when you the, you know this is this is a you know this is a business to a degree and and mm-hmm. uh, you never know when you're writing a book whether it's going to be the you know the the first book the the first book can always be the last book I mean you never know whether you're going to get another chance uh, to to write something about uh, a group of characters and so I always try to approach every book uh, as if. Uh, you know, it's not an ending necessarily, but uh, you want to wrap things up uh, in the story that you presented, uh, and and you know, sort of uh, you know, have a have a you know, put a cherry on top of the cake, so to speak, uh, and and you know, have that have that sort of uh, you know, feeling that there's a completed thought there, um, and uh, you know, I, I think it it may be the case that you know, because Obi Wan is at a particular point in time in his life there. He is beginning this long period of solitude and contemplation, and he's saying goodbye to the rest of the galaxy and the life that he's lived before. That, yeah, I, I guess you know you could say there's a bit of a valedictory feeling there, and you know a, a, a bit of a feeling of uh, uh, you know that that that's, that you know one age has ended and that another age is beginning. Uh, yeah, absolutely not intentional. It just uh, you know obviously it's uh, it's something that's coincidence, uh, but. Yeah, you know, I, I I can see how it could be you know read that way. <laughs> Excellent. So who you have you have vast experience over the Knights of the Old Republic books. You have the Lost Tribe of the Sith novels. Who's your favorite Star Wars character to write? 
Well, uh, you know, a number of the movie characters I've never written at all. <laughs> I've, I still have yet to write Luke Skywalker or, uh, or, or, or any of the, uh, most of the film characters. Uh, and uh, I'm only very slowly uh, moving forward in time to get to that point. Uh, because as you say, most of my books started in the, in the very distant past. Uh, you know, I have, I have different favorite characters in each book that, uh, that I've written, mm-hmm. uh, or each series that I've written, uh, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, obviously, I think most people would assume, and they'd, they'd be right that my favorite character is Griff, who is, uh, <laughs> sort of the, the little con artist, uh, figure in that series. And, you know, he's, he's sort of greed and concentrated form. Uh, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> and, and he's one of those characters who, uh, you know, uh, you know, no matter what happens, it just reconfirms his own understanding of the universe that, you know, the only thing that's worth doing is making money and, and nothing else, you know, wars and other stuff. That's not, none of that stuff's worth, worth your time. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think that character there, uh, you know, Lost Tribe of the Sith, I really loved writing the character Varner Hiltz, who is the you know, the old librarian who mm-hmm. uh, you know is a character who has a, you would assume that he would have very little importance uh, in in a, a Sith society, uh, and you know completely you know un you know, unexpected by him, uh, you know he gets vaulted into this this position. Uh, you know it, it always reminded me of of uh, you know Claudius, uh, the Roman emperor from. From uh, you know who who gets elevated <laughs> when he had had absolutely no idea that uh, you know he would ever uh, you know he, he certainly was never seeking that position uh, and you know just various other you know characters side characters even from the the different uh, you know the different uh, the different books uh, you know in in the Knight Errant novel I I loved writing uh, you know the brigadier uh, uh, Rusher who is uh, you know he's 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 traveling around as a mercenary with his own artillery unit. And mm. that gave me a chance to think about what an artillery unit in Star Wars would be like and what would be the concerns of uh, a guy who is trying to move around, you know, 200 people like that uh, and all of their equipment and take jobs from various Sith Lords, uh, you know, and and you know, still try to have a little bit of a moral center to himself. Uh, so yeah, I mean there there you know various different characters that I've I've enjoyed writing and uh, you know I certainly uh, I certainly uh, you know I I try never to create any characters that are going to be no fun to write. <laughs> you, you you have not filled yet, sir. You have not filled yet. <laughs> well, I wanted to say too. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about New Dawn, you know, uh, I I was just telling uh, Ali this earlier. It was possibly the easiest read I've had in a long time. And, and that's saying a lot because I, I'm a family man and there's constant distractions every time. And this was such a smooth and easy uh, read. I mean, it just flowed so well. To me, I think this book is a is a fantastic entry point for people new to Star Wars. Which, I mean, who's who's who hasn't been exposed to Star Wars at this point? There's still people on the fence, believe it or not. I know well, some I, of them. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your saying that because that's something that as I've written more and more novels, I've been working harder and harder at. Um, mm. You know, one of the things that I found when I was doing comics is that as I became more experienced, uh, I was able to tell stories with fewer and fewer panels, with fewer and fewer, uh, you know, things on the page. Uh, oh, that's I was, tough. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a sign of the new writer that, you know, you're putting eight or nine or ten panels on a page. Uh, you know, I was, I was doing that in the beginning. Uh, and there's just a, a world of difference between my earliest work at Marvel, uh, and then my, my most recent work in comics as you, as you learn to economize, uh, the same is true, uh, with prose, with, with, uh, with writing novels. And, uh, one of the things that I I've tried to do, uh, and you know, this is not in, not entirely, you know, motivated by the fact that a lot of people are out there reading these things on Kindles or other you know, devices where they're just reading a small chunk at a time, you know, maybe stealing five minutes or something at their lunch hours uh, to, to, to work their way through something. But one of the things that I, I, I found is that my chapters are getting shorter uh, the longer that I've written. Uh, you know, now an average chapter for me will be like, you know, 1,300 to 1,500 words. Uh, and, you know, that's enough to get two 
you know, really good scenes in there. And it also happens to you know sort of coincide with what I can usually get done in a writing session of a couple of hours. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I expect that I'll continue to write this way going forward because it does feel really, uh, you know, it, it feels energetic. It feels like it brings the story forward. Uh, you know, readers are going to find the same approach uh, in the next book that I have coming out. I have a Star Trek novel. My first uh, full-length Star Trek novel comes out in January. Uh, it's, uh, it's called uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Takedown is the is the subtitle, and that's another book where it is a very fast moving story, and uh, it is uh, it, it's something which I I'm hopeful that uh, you know people will look at that as well as being a good first novel if you haven't read Star Trek books for a while or or ever. I love awesome. that, and uh, it, it's really it, it was it's, it really impressed me how you were able to keep the, the story moving so quickly, but also putting these nice little details. Um, and, and I felt like there was, maybe I'm reading too into it, but I felt like there was some very deliberate Easter eggs in there. For example, you talked about Zone 42 a lot in there. It's very, a very big part of the storytelling. I, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but was the number something very deliberate there? It was oh, just yeah. kind of arbitrary. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to use a, if you're going to use a, a two digit number, go with Douglas Adams. Um, I, I will <laughs> nice. say though, I, 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 uh, readers who go to my website, farawaypress.com, I have a behind the scenes page on, on all of my books, uh, where I get into trivia like this. I, I haven't got one up for a new dawn yet. Uh, I've, I've been delinquent in getting that done, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, one of my, one of my, numerical Easter eggs is I hide the number 560 in a lot of books, 560, because that was the, the, the number on the, the warship that my, uh, grandfather served on in world war two. Oh, uh, awesome. oh, he, wow. he served on one of these big, uh, they're, they're, they're known as landing ship tanks. Mm. Uh, they're, they're these big vessels that would drop off the tanks uh, on the beaches and, and he, his was in the Pacific and, you know, they, they had so many of these ships that they had no names for them. Uh, they just had numbers. And so, uh, you know, LST five sixty was, was his ship. And so, you know, I've hidden five sixties in a lot of things. I've hidden the number 56, uh, a lot of things divisible into, into five sixty. just whenever I need to put a random number in somewhere. Uh, you know, I put that there and, you know, it, it's actually kind of fun because I I did uh, later on uh, I was contacted by uh, the head of the, the the National Association for people who served on that kind of ship, and uh, I I was able to find out that you know the the head of that association actually did serve with my grandfather and knew him. Uh, you know, he he's since passed on uh, uh, my grandfather, but that was that was really cool and being able to say, hey, look, here are these these places where I've you know sort of put in little you know nods to your ship uh, in my in my books. You know, that was really fun to do. That's awesome. That so actually, amazing. so you had a little uh, a stint on with Marvel. I, I remember I I seem to vaguely recall some stuff. You want to talk about some of your favorite stories that you wrote in those days? Yeah, I I got my start uh, you know, writing professional comics with uh, a series at Marvel called Crimson Dynamo, and that was based on the Iron Man uh, uh, villain at the time. He was the Soviet version of Iron Man. Uh, now it, it happens that among the uh, uh, among the collectibles that uh, I have in my house, uh, I, I got a master's degree in Soviet studies uh, in the early 1990s. Uh, and I have the diploma, and that's about all I ever got out of it because, I, <laughs> you know, the Soviet Union uh, collapsed before I could do anything. Uh, uh, you know, it, working on my dissertation, uh, so I decided not to take the doctorate, and instead I went into journalism. Uh, and and uh, so, when I got the chance to write, uh, you know, a, a comic series uh, for Marvel, I, I thought, well, you know, there really hasn't been a good uh, comic series that shows you know, what, uh, you know, what the, what life is like for people living in Russia. And, uh, I wanted to do something that would be a sort of a Russian superhero series. And I was able to, uh, you know, sort of resurrect the old crimson dynamo armor and, uh, and use it in this storyline. And then that led to me getting to write Iron Man for a year. And that was, uh, that was again, you know, a dream come true for, 
for me because uh, you know that was one of my favorite Marvel characters, and then that led on to Star Wars later on. Uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I did continue to draw on uh, on those old studies uh, with A New Dawn uh, because A New Dawn was telling uh, you know this as we as we've discussed this this story of you know an empire uh, uh, taking control of an existing government and transforming a society uh, into its own image and you know I drew a lot uh, about uh, you know what we saw in the book. Uh, I drew a lot of that from my readings of, you know, what the Soviet Union did in the 1920s and 30s, uh, you know, during collectivization when they were, you know, transforming the country from being this, you know, agrarian society into this, you know, military, you know, industrial uh, state that we wound up having for, for so many years. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I figure if I continue to write long enough, everything I ever learned in school will be useful somewhere. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so with with your writing, um, obviously you've uh, done novels, you've done comics. Do you prefer comics or do you prefer writing um, novels? Well, they're both very different experiences. Obviously, you know, comics... Uh, give you a, a shorter time frame to work on them, but also you get to see the work uh, that you've done a lot sooner, uh, uh, because you know a novel tends to have you know, a, you know eight or nine months before uh, the book actually comes out. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I I would say you know another you know big difference, of course, is uh, just the the amount of time that's required in a novel. You know that takes a commitment of several months. Uh, hmm. so yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, a, a comic book is much more like a relay race, whereas hmm. a, a novel is a marathon. Um, and, uh, of course it's a relay race where you're passing the baton to yourself, uh, but you, <laughs> you, you, you have a break in between each one. And I think the closest that I've gotten to that feeling, uh, I, I, I did a, I did a story, uh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, publishing, uh, label called 47 North. Uh, I did I did a story of my own called Overdraft, uh, which was a a, a science fiction uh, story. Yeah, uh, Ryan offensive. Yeah, yeah, space <laughs> opera, and uh, it was a it was a fun book. And the way that we released that was that it was released like a serial. Uh, you, people would download a new episode to their Kindle uh, every two weeks. And so what they got at the end was something the same length as a novel. And if you buy it now, you'll uh, you'll be able to find it uh, you know, online at, at Amazon. Uh, it, it, you'll you'll it, it, you know, when you read it, it feels like it's a novel. But it was actually written and constructed over the course of, of many months of these individual releases. Uh, and, you know, it 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 also has that sort of obviously that episodic feeling of quick chapters that uh, that my other books uh, have had more recently, so yeah, it is. Uh, it you know, as as far as you know, really preferring one to the other, I guess it's really like you know choosing between you know, beef and chicken. I mean, you sometimes you're in the mood to do one, sometimes the the other. Uh, in terms in terms of what you're going to have for dinner, uh, yeah, I, I I have to say. I have to say that uh, you know I it, having done both now I like being able to switch from one to the other uh, and uh, and you know it's you know with comics I can let somebody else worry about what things look like uh, although you know there I have to be very careful to make sure that the artists know you know what 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 things should look like in the beginning uh, you know whereas in 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 books. Uh, novels, I, I I do like the ability to tell what's going on in people's minds, uh, mm. and uh, and uh, you know to show uh, you know their thoughts about things. Of course, that that came very much across in A New Dawn with Kanan. Like as as much as I love the TV series, when I was reading Kanan in that book, I kind of went, ah, that's why he'd done that. So hats off to you sir so um what piece of writing that you've ever done if there is one are you most proud of what one stands out to you that you went this is the one that i want shown 
<laughs> you know, I, I guess I would have to say, you know, of, of uh, you know, uh, well, obviously every book that you do, you feel, you know, sure. you're proudly about. And it's sort of like choosing between your children. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, Kenobi has a special uh, meaning simply because it took so long to get out. Uh, it was a it was an idea that I came up with for uh, a graphic novel. Actually, it was it was. Uh, it was something we were discussing that would be uh, the uh, a graphic novel for Dark Horse to do during the 30th anniversary of Star Wars. Well, you can do the math and know that the 30th anniversary of Star Wars would have been, uh, you know, uh, 2007. Uh, so, you know, it would have had to have been, you know, done, uh, you know, well, well before that. Uh, and so I was working on that concept in 2006. Uh, and as I continued to elaborate more and more on the idea, it became apparent that there was no way in the world it was ever going to fit in a comic book. Uh, it was, it was just too big of a series and, and really, you know, just, you know, step back and talk about, you know, what we mentioned a minute ago, the difference between comics and novels, so much of a, what happens is internal to the lives and the minds of these characters, uh, and, and is not really necessarily very visual, it really belonged in a novel. So it wasn't until, uh, you know, 2012 that the opportunity came along, uh, that, uh, I was, I was able to get to write it. And so, yes, uh, you know, getting to, uh, getting to do that book and then getting to do it that the, the, in what was pretty much the way that I imagined it, uh, you know, without space battles, without lightsaber duels, without all of the trappings that you normally find in these kinds of stories, that was something where I was expecting the publisher to take a chance and, you know, they were, they were willing to do it and they, they stood behind it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really delighted at how well that went over. Um, you know, we won the scribe award for, uh, you know, best, uh, best original, uh, science fiction tie-in novel for 2013. Uh, I guess, I guess it's 2014 is when it was awarded. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and that, and that, and that was a, that was an award that came from my peers, the other authors that, uh, that, uh, that write these books. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that one meant uh, quite a bit to me. That's excellent. Like, I, I, there's very, there's, there's no books of yours that I've read so far or graphic novels that I've dis, dis, dis been disappointed with at all. Um, However, I, I would like to ask, I, this, I want more. I want more. Um, <laughs> are, are, are there any plans for you to do another Kanan Hera-based novel? Well, you know, this, these questions are always difficult to answer because yeah, sure. if, uh, if there were something uh, that I could announce, it would have already been announced by the people <laughs> who announced things. Would you like to? <laughs> I'll rephrase. Would you like to? <laughs> oh, of course. I would like to. I mean, you know, this is this is this is Star Wars and and or, or Star Trek or whatever. These things are all so much fun to write. Uh, you know, whether it's you know Mass Effect or you know, I've even written Simpsons comics. Uh, Conan, I've written. You know, these 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 things are all fun. And then and then you know the books of my own that I, I've done. Uh, you know, the, the, it, every every everything that I've written has been you know something that I've wanted to write that I've enjoyed. Um, and uh, you know it. I, I compare it with you know the sorts of things that I had to write about very very early in my career. Uh, you know, I, I spent a year editing magazines about the lumber industry, uh, <laughs> and where I was having to write articles about you know lumber prices and and uh, how various grades and and species of lumber were selling. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I have to say. Uh, if, if, uh, if there had been a, a an, an EKG on me, one of those electric monitors, uh, you know, the doctors uh, pr probably would have, uh, you know, recorded a time of death uh, because, <laughs> because I was, I was, I was that bored with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, tr I still tried to make it sound interesting and that's really the test. Uh, you, 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 it, it's, this is sort of like the Jedi trials. Can you make this sound interesting? <laughs> Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, getting to write these other things is certainly, uh, is certainly, you know, a, a blessing if you can get to do it. Uh, and, you know, I, I've worked hard to get into a position where I could do it. Hmm. And, uh, I, I certainly would love to play in these sandboxes again. And, you know, as for, as for what's coming up in the future, you know, I'm, I'm always working on various things. I'm working now. Uh, I, 
you know, can only though tell you that uh, you know the next thing that we have coming up for release uh, is that Star Trek: The Next Generation novel takedown, which uh, is uh, is slated for January 27th, I believe, is the release date on that. Awesome. Uh, and then I have another uh, a short story in my Overdraft universe uh, that is coming out as the lead story in an anthology, which is called Apollo's Daughters. And, you know, I'm expecting to see that one coming out uh, sometime in the next couple of months. That is, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I, I loved Overdraft. It is really oh, very good. good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, that, that, uh, that one is, uh, is close to my heart, obviously. It's, uh, you know, getting the chance to write in your own universe allows you to explore things mm. that are fun to you. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can also, I got to come up with ways that are, uh, you know, were different of, of, you know, telling the same sorts of stories I had done in the past. Uh, you know, I, I, there's no hyperspace in my book. There's no, uh, you know, we have, we have interstellar travel, but it has a different mechanism. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have, uh, you know, interstellar, uh, communications that are automatic, uh, you know, like subspace radio as you have in Star Trek or Star Wars. So, you know, there's a different feel to it. It's much more like, uh, the East India Company uh, in the, the 1600s, uh, where, you know, you would dispatch a ship, but you would never know whether it got there or not until somebody came back and told you, uh, or nobody came back. Uh, you know, that's that's, uh, that's that's a bit of, of the feeling that's in that book. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned Douglas Adams. Uh, you know, there is a humorous uh, element to this book. It's not, certainly not, it's not in the same, it's not in the same Adams vein, uh, but it, you know, it is it is something where, uh, you know, it it's uh, it, there there are a lot of light moments in this book, mm. it's, uh, it's, and uh, and uh, I'm glad that mm -hmm. it's it's what I was just gonna uh, uh, sorry I just was gonna say it's um, one of the best reads I've had this year until I read a new dawn. Oh uh, well, <laughs> I, I no I appreciate that and and yeah I I have to say it it was a it was a great uh, amount of fun to do and there's a lot of resources for that world on uh, my farawaypress.com website. Uh, just follow the overdraft links. There's uh, there's a timeline for the universe on there, uh, and uh, and sort of a you know my own encyclopedia. Uh, and I will be doing more in that world. It's just I've I've had so much other stuff going on. Uh, it's a matter of trying to find time for all the, the projects. Awesome. Now now that we're done with the business side of things, we can kick back and get into a wee bit of fun i seen today on twitter mr miller that you had been given a macquarie logo crew patch yes uh maggie thompson who is the uh you know sort of uh she she's uh kind of the martha washington of of comics fandom in the united states uh she you know attended a lot of the first conventions she uh with her husband don thompson wrote the uh, edited the first fanzine for comics in in uh, in 1960 uh, and she she and she and Don were the editors of comics buyers guide uh, you know they started as columnists for it in the early 1970s and then she stayed on as as editor all, all the way until the uh, the publication uh, concluded uh, here in I guess 2013 it was uh, when it finally went away uh, you know, I, I worked with, uh, Don and Maggie for, uh, for many years, uh, when I escaped the lumber business and started working for the, the comics magazines, uh, and, uh, Don and Maggie had gone in 1976 hmm. to the Lucas offices, uh, and, uh, they had been invited there after, uh, after they, you know, Star Wars had its sort of limited unveiling at uh, San Diego Comic-Con that year. And uh, so they, they paid a call on uh, uh, Charlie Lippincott and the, you know, the staff uh, in, in Lucas's offices in Los Angeles uh, and were given uh, this patch that uh, you know, I, I, was, I was given today by her. Uh, she had it framed. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was one of these things where it was supposed to be, you know, a secret, not for redistribution back then. Uh, but I, I think obviously it's, it's okay to <laughs> pass along now. And, uh, and yeah, uh, the, uh, uh, what it is, it is Ralph McQuarrie had designed a, a new logo. It's not the actual logo that they eventually use for the movies, but it's, it's sort of, um, you know, a, a, you know, sort of a curly lettered logo 
that uh, appears on the very earliest T-shirts and and some of the earliest press materials. Uh, and uh, this particular thing was a patch uh, that was uh, used by the uh, members of the crew. It's a blue patch with uh, white lettering, and she had that framed, and it's now sitting on my wall here. That's and uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was it was wonderful to get, and I was able to show her in return uh, that uh, you know that Star Trek novel, which I have coming out next month, is dedicated to her and to the memory of her husband Don. That's uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, they were very important to, to, you know, me getting out of the lumber business, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and, and also to, uh, to you know, getting to do the sorts of things I'm doing now. That is amazing. I, I also liked your um, insert next to it saying a long time ago in a state far, far away, California. Yeah, that was, the, that was, the, that was actually written, uh, oh, on it was the, written with it. <laughs> yeah, she, she put it on the, she put it on the package. Uh, it was on the outside of the package that she gave me. So I was like, well, I'm going to print that. That's pretty, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that is uh, amazing. Um, now again, um, Yogi, I don't know if you know this, but, um, Mr. Miller here has actually had a Star Wars character in the comics named after him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, there's a gla- in, in, in the Courageous, right, which was a ship, the Galactic Republic Hellsman, he was, yeah. rec- he was called Karth Onassi. Well, Car- Karth Onassi is not... This, well, this is, this is an interesting story. Uh, mm. uh, Karth isn't named after me, but he the, the physical design of the character in the comics, uh, was, was based on me mm-hmm. by, uh, by the artist, uh, Dustin Weaver. Uh, but, uh, I didn't know that. And so I selected that character to be Cartho Nassi, who he just happened to look like. Cartho Nassi is a character from the Knights of the Old Republic video game that, that Bioware did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's a, it's a, you know, and it, it, it he was a character that I was going to be using later on. And so, you know, some fan asked, uh, hey, that character on the bridge there, that looks like Cartho Nassi. Is that who he is? And I said, why, yes, that is him. And I was trying to make it sound like, you know, I had planned this. And then then uh, then the artist contacted me and said, no, John, that's you. Uh, that's... <laughs> so I have this odd connection there with that character. And I don't mind it because Carth is a really cool guy. And uh, and he's uh, he, and he's he's very decent to yeah. uh, the star of our series, Zane Carrick. And so, so that's, that's fine by me. Uh, but, but yeah, I, uh, I, I did not think that it was me because if it, if it had been me, it would have scared off all the readers. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to see that. Oh, yeah, I, it's, it's absolutely amazing that you've got your likeness basically. And, <laughs> and the old Republic, I, I, the old Republic is my favorite time period of all star Wars. It has to be. And to have a character that, partly resembles you that you do not want to relate with is still better than anything <laughs> that I've got going. Um, however, breaking it down more into, we, we've, we've kind of touched on games there. Do you like my segue there? Um, during our emails backwards and forwards, Mr. Miller, I, we discovered that we had kind of a similarity. So I, 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 I write for allgames.com now. So I wanted to ask a bit about your experiences in all games. Yeah, I this was just something I did as a sideline uh, mm-hmm. in the late 1990s. Uh, I can't remember if I had been contacted by somebody with All Game or if I just uh, I, I I don't I don't remember it really at all how it happened. But um, you know they were beginning to fill out that website with uh, reviews of classic video games, and uh, you know at my company uh, you know I had expanded the the comics magazine. Uh, into a, uh, a trade magazine, not just for comics, but also games. We had changed it from comics retailer to games retailer. Uh, but even then, it wasn't video games. It was simply uh, uh, you know, collectible card games and board games and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't able to touch the video part. And I was not able to get my publishers to start any kind of magazine for video games or or anything that would give me a chance to write about the stuff that you know, that I grew up with, um, you know, I was, I was very much, uh, you know, an Intellivision player, uh, that the Mattel Intellivision, uh, in the early 1980s. But then awesome. of course I also got a, I got a ColecoVision and an Atari and, uh, you know, later on the Nintendo and Inter- Nintendo, uh, you know, entertainment system, I got a Sega and, and everything else that everybody else got. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, there were, there were some slots available to, uh, 
uh, to write some, uh, uh, you know, some of the in television reviews for all game. And I did a few of them and I, I, you know, I did not do any more, I think in part because, you know, the way that they were doing them in those days is they were trying to fill out as much of the website as possible. And so, uh, I think people were really in a race to, to reserve as many titles as they could get, you know, to write the reviews <laughs> on. And, you know, just about yeah. everything that I was I was about to write about, uh, you know, got reserved. And yeah. uh, before I could spend much more time thinking about it, uh, that's when we did get a game magazine, not a video game magazine, mm-hmm. but uh, a game magazine uh, for, for my company at, at, uh, that I was working with, uh, Krause Publications. We bought uh, Scry magazine. Scry was the the magazine devoted to collectible card games uh, like Magic and Pokemon. And uh, that happened in 1999. And by that point, all of my spare time and all of my thoughts about games <laughs> were being directed into this one uh, this one publication. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's certainly uh, you know, the, the fact that it all came to light again. I can't remember if somebody found it, uh, the old material on uh, on All Game, or mm-hmm. uh, if it just came up uh, as I, I know that I was mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the Intellivisionaries podcast. Uh, the, that's uh, that's the the podcast that's devoted to Intellivision, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, you know it's it's fun to see all that stuff coming back around. I I bought the uh, Intellivision has this flashback console unit. Uh, that plugs directly into the you know a modern television set and you know comes with 60 different games in flash memory on the uh, I guess it's flash memory but solid state memory on the on the device mm-hmm. and I got yes. I got I got one of those and uh, I've I've been pl- playing the heck out of that over the last few uh, weeks so it, it is it is nice to see it all coming back yeah and was... fun fun fact you could actually there's actually the televisionaries I listened to the podcast too I think I actually heard you on there. So yeah, it's a small they, world. Did yeah, they, you know they that the guys? Uh, they they mentioned me because uh, somebody looped me into a conversation about the stuff I did for All Game, and, uh, oh, and so, okay. And so and so they saw that I had done this stuff, and they they mentioned me. I, I'd love That's to do neat. that. I'd love to do that po- to do that podcast because I I could certainly talk about uh, you know some of the uh, experiences that we had. Uh, you know, in television was uh, to us sort of like. You know, in television and Atari was kind of like Marvel versus DC or, uh, <laughs> or Star Wars versus Star Trek or something like that yeah. in the fandom. Yeah. There were, there were people that were heavily devoted to one or the other. And, uh, and you know, it, 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 it really, you know, it, when it, when it was at its peak, uh, you know, my fandom for that happened to be right around the time when, uh, you know, it was also, uh, you know, in in my in my you know in my junior high school uh, you know, growing up, that was also when comics were sort of at their peak popularity, uh, and al- and also when uh, you know role playing games like Dungeons and Dragons were at their peak popularity. Uh, I remember when I was in I was you know when I was fourteen. Yeah, everybody in school that year that 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 I knew you know was into comics or. Uh, the video games uh, consoles like the Intellivision or Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, and there the, the, the was a synthesis between all of this going on because, of course, you yeah. had, you know, the you had the Dungeons and Dragons game for Intellivision, and you had the Dungeons and Dragons ads running in the Marvel comics, and uh, of course, you know, DC would later do, uh, you know, D and D comics, uh, but you know, you had that sort of you know synergy of hey, this is a great fun time. And then I got to high school, and when I got to high school, it was like a light switch went off, and everybody that was into all of that stuff dropped it in order to go chase girls and and get drunk. And <laughs> it was a weird time, wasn't it? It was a very <laughs> weird time. <laughs> well, it, it, that's that's what that's what happened. And uh, and the thing was, I stuck with it, and it ended up, I think, being an important uh, factor in my later career because I ended up inheriting all the comics that the other kids in school had and all the gaming stuff that the other kids in school had and all of the Intellivision cartridges and all the ColecoVision stuff and all the Atari stuff that other people had. Yeah. I've got mountains of that stuff and I only bought, you know, uh, you know, cartridges through, uh, you know, the end of, uh, of when they were producing them. 
you know, all of these other, you know, you know, why do I have five Astro Smash cartridges? It's because they came from other people, you know? So, Little so did yeah. they know what they were sitting on. Well, and I, and I think the fact that I had to sort of keep the fandom going alone for a lot of these things, you know, by the time, you know, I'm, I'm 16, I'm doing my own fanzine. Uh, you know, my own newsletters and things, uh, you know, doing comics reviews, trying to get a few of the other people, the, the other people that I knew interested. And then, of course, when I when I when I discovered that there was a world outside and that I could, you know, m meet other people who were into this stuff by, uh, you know, writing through Comics Buyer's Guide and the various you know magazines that were devoted to these things. You know, there were no blogs back then. If yeah, if there had been the an internet, that was back, uh, it would have been less. Uh, Bulletin board systems. Well, yeah, as as well, got. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, you know, I didn't even have that. Uh, and uh, and you know, so it was it was fanzines passing back and forth through the mail. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, it was uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, it was it made it a lot more lonely than um, it probably would have been otherwise. But I continue to meet people that I I knew way back when, uh, you know, through that uh, through that fandom, uh, even now. And so I I you know, people who were publishing some of the other other things, or people who just you know read some of the other fanzines, uh, and we we have that same collective memory, um, you know, it, I, and you know having to actually do the fanzines on my own. That really helped me as a journalist because when I got to you know be the editor of my campus paper in high school and uh, the campus paper at my university, uh, which I just went back and, and talked to the students there last uh, last month, uh, yeah, I uh, I already knew how to put together a magazine. I already knew how to put together a newspaper uh, because I had been doing it on my own. And uh, and so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I think if it, if it hadn't been for all the other kids discovering the other stuff, <laughs> <laughs> I might not have been doing what I'm doing now. I, it's that kind of thing where you know have, you have enough years pass, you, know, you you begin to see sort of the patterns, and and uh, and you, you see that uh, you know there's where all all those connections kind of were made. You know, and it's interesting, too, because it's all very cyclic, right? Because if you look at it now, the retro gaming scene with the televisionaries and the Retro Junkies Network, which I'm a big fan of. So you mentioned that it just got me excited. Uh, I was more on the Atari 2600 side. I had one mm -hmm. with the wood console. Then I had the one, the first one that came out with the plastic, yeah. you know, the little switches on there, the dip switches. People don't even know what those are anymore. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, yeah, and, you know, the televisions were expensive. I mean, it oh, was... yeah. I, I had yeah. to work for an entire summer to get the money to get one of those. And, uh, you know, it. I, I saw somebody posted, I think Brett Weiss posted this. He's, uh, he's and again, somebody who is active in that field. He writes a lot of the, the, the classic video game guide books. He was an editor at All Game. He may, he may even have been the editor that hired me in the beginning. I don't know. But we, we actually hired him at Comics Buyer's Guide to do comics reviews years later. So that's how we all... All sort of know it. All sort of know each other, but yeah, he posted something where you know, in adjusted dollars, uh, you know, the Intellivision today would have what we were paying for those was like a thousand dollars today. I oh mean, yeah, it was, it was just ridiculous, and uh, you know, it was it was much more you know marketed as sort of the the you know it, this is the Cadillac system this is the this is the this is the the step up from uh you know the the other systems that were available which is primarily the the 2600 and you know of course you know it just had more memory on board and and uh, and uh, you know the stuff that you would have if you were designing a game system in 1978 79 as opposed to 76 or 77 or whenever the whenever the 2600s uh, you know groundwork was laid um, yeah, you know, and, and you know there are 2,600 games I like too. Uh, it, it's just it's uh, it's one of those things where you know, you, uh, you never forget the first one that you have, and uh, you know yeah. that that was that was the system that you know I I, I always I always love the fact that they uh, released all the games in those uh, you know those uh, you know sort of bookcase style cartridge uh, things where you would actually, you would open them out and uh, it was like things to to put in your library. Uh, Absolutely. And 
that was a that that gave you the feeling that uh, okay, this isn't just a disposable thing here. This game is more than just the cartridge. It's also all the stuff that goes with it. Uh, and uh, and of course that that era is uh, is completely gone. Oh yeah, that, that was the, the time when instruction manuals were like little mini novels, and those things were collectible on their own. Oh hey, yeah, it's, it's changed so much. <laughs> well, I mean, Magic was one of the the third party uh, producers for Intellivision and Atari, and they would actually you know do photo shoots for their characters and uh, and uh, tell little backstories uh, in the, in the rule books. Uh, so yeah. it was it, it had that feeling of. You know, it, it, you got the sense that maybe it could cross further over into the video games, not not video game, but the, the role-playing game world than it did. Uh, but, you know, the problem simply was that it hit that crash that happened in uh, in uh, the, the, you know, 83, uh, you know, where there was just too much material, too many systems. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, the the uh, you know, the fall of 1983, that's when I bought my first computer. Uh, and I think that's pretty much when everybody else started to buy their first personal computers was yep. in that mid 80s era. And by that point, uh, you know, if you were looking for a role playing game experience on a in a video game, well, now you had Ultima. Now you had you know, all these more complicated, uh, you know, games that were out there. Uh, that could be done simply because you were working with 64K instead of 4K. Uh, and, it's and so, so, such a big leap, you know. But it's amazing what the, the video game developers worked with back then. Uh, you're making me nostalgic. You know, we might have to get, Ali, we might have to do a separate show just to talk video games and, like, retro stuff. <laughs> and, and, yeah, this and is the, great stuff. Well, the fun, <laughs> thing about, the fun thing about the video games is that, unlike a lot of the, the other stuff that I've done, it's 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 the one place where my my job my hobby has not become my job. I'm still just a fan of this stuff. You know, yeah. I certainly ne- I certainly never worked on any of that material. I've done a little video game work, but not much not much really to speak of. Uh, and uh, you know, I I'm I'm able to actually approach that stuff as a consumer and uh, and you know talk about uh, talk about it and uh, yeah I, I think it's cool that the that all these yeah it is cyclical uh, you know the, these people uh, you know like me are now of an age where we can go back and invest some money in some of this stuff exactly uh, you, <laughs> you just wish that you had gone back and bought everything while it was still cheap uh, yep so. that's true there's an so, ebb and flow to it though because when it's when it, it sometimes it tapers off and people stop collecting it and their prices go down but now the demand is so high with all that stuff and television Atari 2600 and it's, and people are letting go less of the stuff so the price gets even higher you know certainly there was a time where you couldn't give any of that stuff away and yep. that's you know that's that's why I have as much as I do probably was because I, I would I'd find these things and I would buy them uh, and uh, you know it's it's I, I have to say that uh, you know it's it's yeah, it's something I I really just delighted to see that it's, it, people are still interested in it and that it's coming back. You know I don't know how deeply I would get into it in the future. <laughs> I know that people are starting to do a lot of these new uh, you know new games uh, for the old system. Um, you know I I I I tend to gravitate to the eight or ten games that I was actually pretty good at. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and uh, and uh, you know I'm 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 not so good at picking up on on the new ones at least in terms of you know the hand-eye coordination kind of games. So now, so ladies and gentlemen, we're getting the full breadth of who <laughs> John Jackson Miller is—not just a writer, but a, a, a gaming nerd, which we love. <laughs> we could totally relate. Did you ever get into the the collectible card games? Because you you just say you edited it for a scry, right? Yeah, I, I was the editor of Scry from uh, 2000 to 2002, and I edited uh, or, or put together two very large books, uh, which are sort of like the you know the, the giant-sized uh, encyclopedia of every collectible card game that had been put out to that time. Wow. Uh, and and we had all the checklists, and we had reviews of every single not every single not just every single game but every single set every single release that came out for the games uh wow and, uh, that's and, an undertaking and a half huh <laughs> yeah it, it, i i was uh i was uh, i think when the first book came out i worked 72 days consecutively on it never you know, never took a day off to try to get that thing out uh and 
I, I'm proud of those books. Uh, people still use them. I still get a lot of traffic to my website. People searching, you know, Scribe because they're looking for prices on these old games. And of oh, course, yeah. the, fact, the fact is, you know, there's nobody really doing that anymore since that magazine went away. Uh, and, you know, a lot of those games, you know, our, our prices really were the last, you know, places that, you know, prices ever appeared with the exception of, of retailer websites uh, because they were for, you know, really obscure games that vanished. Uh, it was fun doing that because I was able to, you know, sort of, you know, when we were filling out that book, I, I, I got to do a lot of detective work to try to discover, you know, were there actually card lists for this game or or that game or the other. Um, yeah, I was never I was never a big player. I, I certainly played Magic at the very beginning. Uh, and then when I discovered that I could make hundreds of dollars buying and selling boxes of cards without actually opening them, I started, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't really play as much after that. And, uh, yeah. and then, then that sort of all fell through, um, you know, after, after the market fell through for those cards for a while. Uh, and I, I think finally this past year I, I did sell off, not this past year, but a couple of years ago, I did sell off the the remaining mass of the, the cards that I had uh, just because again, it, it wasn't something that I pursued nearly to the, to the, you know, to the point that, uh, that I did with, uh, you know, comics or, you know, I got 50,000 comic books still. I I'm, I'm never going to get rid of those, um, you know, or, or, or some other kinds of games. Yeah. I, my, my, uh, when it comes to non electronic games, I have tended to be a, uh, a strategy board gamer or a, a war gamer. Uh, I bought a lot of games from a company called Avalon Hill. Uh, oh yes, that, absolutely. Uh, you know, diplomacy, civilization. Uh, uh, you know, trireme. There were all these different. Uh, you know, games that now now would be very very hard to try to sell just because. Uh, well, not diplomacy because that's fairly simple. But a, a lot of the war games, uh, you know, so much time was spent in management of the system and management of the counters and everything. Yeah. And there, there, there were literally games that were designed to take two hundred hours to play. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, and you know, I I, but I enjoyed you know uh, you know playing these things. And I remember in college in my dorm room, you know, we had you know various games that were. Uh, I, I remember I had the the Civil War game from Victory Games, which was an Avalon Hill subsidiary. Uh, we had that mounted on my wall, and uh, we you know, used Stickum to put all the counters on uh, on the map. And uh, you know we'd, we'd get we'd get a turn played over the course of a week, and so you know for a couple of months, you know guys would be just dropping by to uh, to see what was going on in the in the in the uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, just to see see what was happening. Uh, you know, that, those kinds of games have pretty much all fallen uh, by the wayside uh, because you know the you know the computers are so much better at keeping tracks of of, of those kinds of things. Although even then, uh, you know, I find that uh, there's a retro wave of that that's uh, that's been coming along too. Um, you know, I uh, I have a number of uh, of different emulators that uh, that you know run old uh, old DOS games and Apple games. Yeah. So every so often I'll, I'll turn on one of those to, to, you know, play Ultima on the role-playing side of things or, uh, on, uh, on the, uh, on the DOS side, uh, you know, Avalon Hill did a really uh, good, uh, you know, port of, uh, the, 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 there's a, there's a railroad game called 1830, uh, that they did. And there is no other, you know, electronic game equivalent. Uh, to that, uh, except the one that they designed, I think it was in 1991 or 92. Uh, and uh, you know, I'll still play that thing. It's, it's, uh, it, it is, you know, it still beats me with the, uh, with the artificial intelligence it had 20 years ago. Wow. Now bringing it back to Star Wars, I know we got to wrap this up and we sure, sure. definitely, definitely appreciate your time. This is just some great stuff we're learning here about you. But um, have you ever gotten into any of the Star Wars games? Because there's uh, one I, I believe that's pretty big. I think I think it's called Star Wars Dominion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think it's a D20 based game. Well, there was the, the there was the there was the original Star Wars role playing game that West End did, uh, and then uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast did its own uh, Star Wars uh, role playing game, and then later the Saga system uh, role playing game that they did. 
I, you know, I, I, uh, that is, uh, that's where, uh, you know, the, the little bit of professional game design work that I did has been done. I, uh, I wrote, uh, a, a module for the star Wars role-playing game, uh, that appeared, uh, as part of the, um, Dawn of Defiance campaign. I guess that would be probably be about five years ago now. Uh, Wizards of the Coast no longer has the license, but you can still find that uh, that game module online. And uh, that one is kind of fun because it includes uh, Inquisitors, and of course, Inquisitors uh, are you know where we got where, where they got the idea for the Inquisitor in Rebels. Uh, well, and- mind you, I fuck I I I was probably you know I was completely I felt I'm embarrassed to admit this. All right. But when I was reading Any Dawn, I actually yeah. thought Count, Count Vidian was going to end up becoming the Inquisitor because the well, way no, he was he was made out of my head. That's the way I pictured him. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's entirely that's entirely uh, something that you know I, I as 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 we start out you know that that's an open possibility. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I I did that and also I co-wrote uh, the Knights of the Old Republic campaign guide uh, for that role-playing game too. Nice. Uh, and that was something where, uh, you know, that was, since I was writing the comic series at the time, we were able to hide all these hints about what was going on in the comics in the role-playing game. And it turned out that, you know, it was such a popular uh, book. That that book is actually more uh, valuable than anything that I've written in, in, the, in, the, in the secondary market. Uh, you know, that book goes for about 200 hours right now. And I wish they had sent me more than two of them. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> that, that may be one of the reasons why it's so expensive is they didn't print a whole lot of them, but it, it's, yeah, it is, uh, it is a, it is a volume that a lot of people, uh, really enjoyed. And certainly we enjoyed working on it. Awesome. Awesome. Ali, did you have anything else to ask? Uh, that was about that. That blew. That blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, we went deep on the gaming stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't did, did, didn't intend to go that far, but if anybody's listened no. to this point, we've... <laughs> I'm sure they will. Like this, uh, all our all games fans will absolutely love this. Mister Fred Rojas himself, personally, I know will absolutely do this. He does gaming history one one. It was it, it was incredible just hearing everything. Like that was more than we could have possibly hoped for when we got you on, Mister Miller. Well, I appreciate. Well, I, was, I was quite smitten when I when he mentioned collectible card games and a television <laughs> Atari. I said, "Okay, keep keep going, keep going." <laughs> well, I you know I, I've 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 been fortunate that I've been able to spend the last you know twenty twenty five years of my career reliving my childhood until I get it right. Uh, that's I, I get to, I get I to hear delve, that. <laughs> I get to delve into all of this stuff, and it, and it's been and it's been fun, and uh, yeah, I certainly enjoy being able to talk about this kind of stuff. I uh, I I'll, I'll tell you that uh, you know before uh, the month of November when I did a tour. I did something like 40 podcasts on this novel, and this is the first one that I've done since the trip, and so I, I'm refreshed, and maybe this is why I've gone a little longer here. <laughs> it's appreciated. Much appreciated. Sure thing, and I, I appreciate the the chance to talk here. Uh, let me just get in for the listeners my, uh, my website, farawaypress.com, and people can also find me on Twitter at JJMFaraway. This is John Jackson Miller, and you're listening to Star Wars Rebels Cast UK.